This is Marianne Window. And this is Mary Lou Lloyd. And welcome to episode 10. How the hell did that happen? Hey, everybody. (laughs) We're kind of working on a theme song for all those people that suggested it. And all we can come up with is the theme from the Waltons. It's it's sounding very Waltons theme. That's okay. It's a cross between the Waltons and there's Little House on the Prairie. Yeah, and there's a hole in my bucket. (laughs) That's good. It's cool. Oh, my God. I just remembered that Little House on the Prairie theme then. Uh yeah. What so the Waltons was do 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 and then do 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 Yeah, that's it. Do 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 and Little House of the Little House on the Prairie was um do 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 something like that, wasn't it? No, I can't remember. No. I don't think so. I can't remember what it was, but it was bad. And they had bad <laughs> outfits on. And you know what? I see girls wearing, or women, young women of a millennial generation, wearing the exact same dresses that Laura Ingalls wore on Little House on the Prairie out at gigs these days. <laughs> yeah, gunny sacks, all the rage. I don't, is that what they're called? I think so, yeah. Weird. Oh, my God. Yeah. I'm, I'm waiting for the bonnets next. <laughs> <laughs> Handmaid's and Tale. The Nelly, yeah, and the Nelly, Nelly Olsen <laughs> blonde ringlets. Oh, she's so awful. <laughs> I know. That's going to be next. That's going to be the next hair the ringlet. fashion. Gross. Right? Yeah. Ugh. Mark my words. You heard it here first. Fashion forward on how the hell did that happen. <laughs> We may be old, but we're in touch with the youth. <laughs> yeah. Every, everything is, comes around again. So, yeah, we're absolutely in touch. <laughs> I know. But do you know what? My wardrobe has the same clothes in it for the last 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you could sell it <laughs> on, on Etsy. I know. Right? I know. I could. I could. Mm. But, you know, you just pick classic things. But that's okay. We, we digress already. Yeah. So it's a it's a big week this week in terms of music history. Yeah. Crazy, hard all, to believe. I know, and it's all of our well, especially this generation that we've talked about, you know, people that are fit fall through the cracks that post baby boomers mm. pre new millennium kind of thing. It's that it's that generation that we had to find something. Yep. And we talked about that already, about grunge emerging. Yep. And I and I guess this week marks the 25th anniversary of Kurt Cobain's death. And mm. that's going to bring up a lot of, um, a lot of musical memories, personal memories. I mean, you always associate... Well, I do associate music with times in your life. Mm-hmm. It's like a sense memory. Yeah. So, you know, having these songs come back around to mark any kind of anniversary, it's always it, it always brings up weird feelings or, you know, just things that you haven't necessarily thought about for a long time. Mm-hmm. Do you find that? Yeah. It was really strange um, 
whole new kind of perspective. Um, I was doing an interview uh, a couple days ago with some people, and I have a big stack of magazines from back in the day that I bought to kind of keep in touch with maybe what was going on with the band or what he was doing, because I did. I lost track of him. I lost touch with him. Um, and it was before I really knew anyone at record labels. So there's really old magazines, um, uh, the People magazine from 1994 um, as well. And I just looked at it with more uh, a sense of, like an, a, more of a maternal um, perspective. Uh, and I had never felt that before. I hadn't looked at these magazines in like fucking at least 15 years, uh, maybe longer. And so when I was looking at them um, and looking at him on the cover or whatever, I could all I thought of was, wow, his, his poor mom. And back then, I, that's not what the first uh, thing that came in my mind was. It was, oh, shit, you know, his poor daughter. Um, mm. So now, you know, having my own kid and being a mom myself, I can... I can only imagine how his mom felt, and um, yeah, mm-hmm. so it was, it was a whole different perspective looking at it with uh, grown-up, um, grown-up eyes, and more of a m- maternal approach to it all. It's really weird. Yeah, and it, it's amazing how um, life changes your perspective on things. Oh, totally. Because it's like you know, obviously at the time you wouldn't relate to how his mother might have felt or mm-hmm. right. anything like that. And right. now you can put yourself... You, you're probably the same age as she was. Oh, yeah. Probably, she was probably younger than I am, actually. But <laughs> but with, with the, it, the, a similar... Um, I, I'm just talking about, like, the other people that were parents at that time looking yeah. at a 27-year-old Kurt Cobain and if they had kids anywhere from 16 to, to 20 seven themselves they were looking at it with a completely different perspective um Mm. you know what I mean and that's that's the way I it was just so weird because I hadn't looked at those magazines in a really long time um years and years and when I did I I was just kind of like struck at my own at the difference um to looking at them now and and the and the feeling that I got yeah, I can only imagine. I mean, I'm not a mother, but I could imagine that it would be a real shift in the way you oh you yeah at it yeah yeah just even just through the hands of time. You know, you you think you know everything when you're 26, 27. Mm-hmm. You're at that age where you, we were talking about this earlier. You're in that sort of no man's land. You, you you're still not old enough to know everything, but you're not young enough to not have to deal with consequences so you're in that feeling old but not really knowing your life yet right yeah it's a hard time of life but it is um, it's a weird time yeah but we got it we I don't know it's just one of those things where there's that thing that everyone talks about oh the media talks about mainly you know the 27 club and there's something about that age that um, just sort of got people. I don't mm-hmm. know what it is. There's no explanation for it. No, not really. 
But then again, it's it's like what we just said. It's that awkward age of being grown up but not knowing how to deal with it and not having the full life experience to be able to to work through things and see that there's a bigger picture ahead. Um, I heard this uh, comment, well, these people were talking about a poll that was done, um, some kind of a study that was done somehow, and they said that there is a year, um, an age of the majority of people, and the age is, what age do the majority of people stop listening to new music <laughs> and wow yeah right and I guessed uh I guessed it right and um can you, you want to make I'm a guess gonna, yeah I'm gonna say 38 no 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 I, I no it, the the age if you really think about it the like if you start listening to music when you're I, I don't know maybe 11 like most of us right um, like what age do you think it is that people sort of stop buying new music, stop seeking out new music? Like the average person, not us, but like the average, <laughs> okay. you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, all right then. Average person, I'd say 23. Well, you're in there. Yeah. So the, it, it was 28 and that's exactly the age that I guessed. Um, ah, well, see, you're better than me. I said 38, and then I went, oh, well, it has to be a lot younger than that. But it's a foreign concept to well, me because I'm always listening. Of course, but I did, I did it the way you know. When I, I have a lot of friends that that yeah. aren't like us. They listen. They, the only music that they listen to, like I mean, there is a group on Facebook <laughs> that we know about, and we can look into that and go, you know, it it appears that these people stopped listening to new music at at this age right yeah because uh, then they'd be hipsters if they listened to music. <laughs> <laughs> and there's yeah. no hipsters allowed ah <laughs> uh, so exactly so i'm just saying you know that they're the majority mm. of of people and it's true they they don't fucking care about new music they're they're Con- constantly talking about if they were, I don't know, anywhere in the demographic of 15 to 28 in the 60s or early 70s, a lot of these people don't listen to anything. They, they, they're constantly talking about music that happened in the 60s and early 70s. Oh, my God. I've got a theory about this that's just come to me now because a lot of those people probably stopped listening to music at new music at 28 because yeah that's when their big life changes happen like they got oh, yeah, married totally and they had children and yeah they had jobs and they exactly had bills and responsibilities yeah. so it's well, only natural that you'd gravitate back towards those glory days of not having responsibilities that's absolutely true and yeah those the songs probably become the backdrop of uh like a way to escape from the reality of that that future really you're yeah, in the future the, the future is now and so you you put on <laughs> that music and and you feel can make you feel young again I guess yeah I you go back to the fun years the fun years yeah so you stayed out all night mm, so maybe uh 
if you're really in tune with music or making music, maybe it even happens to um, musicians, right? That this this approaching sort of responsibility age of 28 comes along and it might be like a big freak out. Like you might feel really old, like 27 is old. I remember when I turned 27, I just felt really old. That was the age oh. that of all the ages I've ever been, it was 27. And it, and it was mm-hmm. no reason like, oh, this is the 27 club. It was just like, I was like, oh my God, I'm so fucking old. <laughs> well, I consciously remember thinking that when I turned 26. Mm. Okay. And it's really weird that you say that because I, I just, you know, remembered that feeling and I remembered saying to someone, oh, my God, I'm old now, I'm really <laughs> old, I'm 26. And I mm. think it's that, it's that thing, it's that psychological thing of I should, be, I should be earning money, I should be doing something and buying a house or whatever. It's like that age and I think it's that age of your parents and the generation before that that's when they – probably had three kids already mm. in a house oh God, and yeah. a this and a that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, but we can't do that now. As a, Like future generations, they can't afford anything at, you know, 46, let alone 26. Well, yeah, and you know what they say, like being in, ro- being in rock and roll, being in the music um, industry or whatever, you get like a extended – um, a free pass to a, an extended adolescence. <laughs> <laughs> or you suffer arrested development, one of the two. Yeah, same thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it is interesting, 28, wow. Yeah. But I was still, yeah, I was still buying lots of stuff at 28 and I'm still buying too much stuff. But, you know, now kids don't have to buy anything. They just stream it. Oh my but God. that's interesting too because the money I was listening I to <laughs> Yeah, I know. And and no one has to buy magazines anymore. Like you were saying you bought, you know, Rolling Stone and Q and Sassy and Spin and all those Melody things. Melody Maker oh, and Enemy. Oh and my god, and we all them. bought them oh, every yeah. week. And <laughs> you'd have to buy the import <laughs> copies for the English ones. Uh-huh. And, <laughs> and we'd have to buy the import US ones that would like a spin magazine cost like fifteen dollars, I remember. And then and you'd like, read it and oh. you'd be like and then you'd read something really cool about some band and then and then you'd be like, Fuck, I have to get that. I have to hear that and so you'd I go know. and d- spend the sixteen bucks on the C D and there'd be like one or two songs that you might like yeah. and often. You so, know. <laughs> yeah, and, and and it was one of those things where I know. They had a good racket going. No wonder the record industry is going crazy over all these people not buying stuff anymore because it ruined the party. (laughs) It ruined the party for them. It didn't change musicians because we never made money anyway. Mm. It was more about um, the the execs. And we were talking about this the other day about, you know, whenever I I was on the road or doing anything like that – when it was attached to a label, a major label, the the people that worked for the record company always had really nice cars, <laughs> always, and they were the same age as me or or just a little bit older, but they always had really nice cars. And I was thinking, God, how is it fair? Uh-huh. <laughs> They've got a job from people making music, but we've got the crappy cars that break down all the time, and we can't afford to keep them in mm-hmm. tip-top shape and they've got these you know 
$50,000 Audis in the car park. I don't know. <laughs> it's well, all a vicious cycle. If it was an A&R person, it was probably least to them to uh, impress, I don't know, one of the artists or something. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> I know. Well, it's kind of like they're, they're the real estate agents of the music industry. <laughs> they To me, they just seem like nephews with good teeth. You know what I mean? Like, ah! it's just, I would have try to have conversations about music with some of these people. And uh, that that was the last thing they knew anything about. So I'd um, have to go and talk to um, Irving or Seymour or Gary or whatever. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, you think maybe the president knows something. I hope so. And then I was telling you that story last night. Um I was playing at South by on the corner, uh, really late one night at South by Southwest. As I did, I did that every year for many years. I did some busking, um, and I would start at six, uh, and I wouldn't stop until about three o'clock in the morning. Um, so I put in a lot of hours um, down there on Sixth Street. So one year, um, I think it was probably like ninety-seven. I was out there playing, um, it was really late at night, maybe like two in the morning, it was really quiet and nice, and I was sounding pretty good, because I'd been playing all day, and it was cool, just really nice vibe, nice night, and I forget who I was with, but um, it like pointed into the street at these two dudes walking down the street, one had a cigar, they were older guys, and I, I couldn't quite... I think I saw the back of their head, so I couldn't quite see who it was because they had already walked walked by me, um, yeah. like right by me when I was playing. Yeah. And so I, I said to whoever I was with, I can't remember, I said, who was that? And they told me who it was. And these are a couple people that just like the week before, um, I had been in L.A. doing some... Um, uh, you know, visiting radio, uh, record companies that perhaps wanted to sign me. So mm -hmm. I remember I did um, like a little show at Virgin and did a little show at A&M and like that. Uh, mm -hmm. And so these same guys that were totally uh, all about signing me and all about uh, bringing me to their label and what they could do for me and stuff like that, they could not make the connection that I was the same person that was in their office a week before or two weeks before. Uh, and I was standing there playing, right? And they could hear me. I wasn't like out of earshot. <laughs> I, I was right there. And they just like, blah, 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 just walked by in a conversation, you know, oblivious to what was what this person that was standing there playing. And so I was well, like, you got to be fucking kidding me, you know? Well, you know what, though? It fits into the theory when you're over 28. The, the, your ears don't hear anything new. Jesus. You know, it's all about the hype and it's all about, mm. oh, that person's good. It's a business. Says, it's, a, good. it's a yeah. business. It's a product. Oh, yeah. It's a product. But it was just like, wow, because you're meant to feel like such a big deal and so special and they love you and all this shit. And then 
there you are playing right. I mean, they could have been like, holy shit, it's Mary Lou. How are you? And, you know, they, I was there for the taken, you know, kind of thing. I and it's just the, the same fucking person, me, that was in the audience, uh, in the in their office just a couple of weeks before. Like, yeah. Yeah. I it's they like. Didn't throw a dollar in your case either. I know, right? Uh, it's um, obviously they're more interested like if you do a showcase in LA or whatever for if you if you're doing a, um if you're maybe in a bidding war or whatever mm. uh these guys will be in the audience and half the time they're more concerned with what's over their shoulder than what's in front of them on the stage who's who's in the audience oh. beside right they're they're sizing up the artist by who else is interested you know, like, wow, that's pretty gross. And um, back in the day, <laughs> like, Elliot was my opener, right? And all a lot of these people, again, that were interested in signing me, I would say to them, look, you know, make sure you get there early to see this guy that's opening for me. He's amazing. And uh, after our sets or Elliot's set or whatever, I'd say, well, you know, what did you think? And they'd be like, well, gee, I don't know. He, he seems kind of depressed. Like, he, it, it was all about him uh, instead of the the, the songs. songs. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And they, they just couldn't quite get the... And it was entirely frustrating um, to, to watch that and to um, know how special this artist was and have them just not get it or bypass or pass pass him by and like that Ridiculous. I know and it, it, we'll, we'll get into that a bit later but now that you um you know just thinking about that time I, I just wanted to ask you while we were still thinking about um this big 25th anniversary coming up this week we were talking about you know Kurt's memorial and, and the feeling and the all of that kind of thing about that that cloud being overhead when you're in Olympia and yeah. that kind of thing. You know, immediately after Kurt died, right, um, it, and that day and that whole, the weeks following it, it really felt like um, like the like the air had been sucked out of, uh, you know, that how I was talking before about how you could feel the energy, right? You could mm. the you could feel um, this incredible uh, energy, and you felt really like part of it. So when he died, it was like the opposite. It was like a, like a punch in the gut, you know, when somebody punches you in the gut and you you can't breathe. You know what I mean? It was mm. like that. It was like getting the air sucked out of you, and 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 kind of like. You don't want to listen to music. You don't want to do really anything. Um, but fortunately, I, I I did have friends, and I had friends around me that understood this too well. You know what I mean? Um, mm. And so without even having to talk about it, uh, we could sympathize with each other. and what, we, we didn't even have to talk about how we felt. You know what I mean? Uh, we just kind of did whatever we did. Um, and, of course, music was still going on. It's not like everything stopped, right? Mm. So when you got back from England and you were faced with all these Nirvana 
everywhere on the radio exploding. You had those magazines that you could only keep up with, you know, the peripheral things. Now, you were friends with Sean Colvin at the time. How did you actually meet Sean Colvin? Oh, well, um, I met Sean um, through a guy that I know named Robert Haig, uh, who was a DJ, another DJ at WERS. Um, okay. WERS played a big role in my life, it appears. Um, yes. Yeah, so uh, I, before... I moved to England, so that must have been in, God, 85, right? I had recorded WERS, um, made a tape of it, and brought that with me because I didn't know if they would have any any, <laughs> any good radio in England, uh, whatever. So I made this t- tape, and on this tape, there was this woman singing um, a Bob Dylan song, You're Gonna Make Me Lonesome When You Go, and I thought that it was just amazing. And uh, I think after the song played, the DJ said, that was Sean Colvin. Um, So I remember when I got to England, I went to the HMV store in the Virgin store, and I said, do you have anything by this woman named Sean Colvin? And they, they, no, no one had anything, so no one knew anything. So I knew that she didn't have a record out. Um, Mm. That's all I knew, is that she covered the Bob Dylan song, didn't have a record out. So this had to be... 86, I'd say. Um, So I came back from England, um, and I was playing in the subway, and I met this, I was playing a Sandy Denny song, and uh, this guy, Robert, um, said, oh, you, Sandy Denny, that's cool, you know, that's really cool, and and he said, who else do you like? And I said, well, I really like this woman that doesn't appear to exist named Sean Colvin. Uh, and and he said, oh, yes, she does. And he said, in fact, she's playing um, this Friday at Passim. And I was like, you're kidding me. And he's like, do you want to go with me? And I'm like, yeah. So I went I went with him. I met up with him at Passim, really small club in Harvard Square, folk club. And I watched her set and I was absolutely blown the fuck away. I I just was just like a scrape me off the floor, like unbelievably <laughs> freaked the fuck out by how good, right? So anyway, uh, after the show, he introduced me to her and I was so starstruck and that was the first time I had ever heard her, met her, whatever, and I remember just blurting out something ridiculous and I asked her if her arm hurt. Um, oh, that's right, your Cindy Brady moment. Yeah, Cindy Brady moment. I, I said, I don't, I, I just said, does your arm hurt? Really nice to meet you, does your arm hurt? You know, and she looked at me like, what the fuck? You know, and she's like, well, yeah, I'm good. Nice to meet you too. My arm's fine. Um, I It was just weird, right? And so, but she knew. I think she had a sense of knowing that I was just really out of my mind, nervous at that moment or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so I think after the show, we hung out a little. Um, with Bob had met her before, of course. Uh, yeah. And then um, I she gave me her phone number. And then... Uh, every time she would come to Boston, she would call me, uh, and I would pick her up from the airport and and hang out with her. She was my friend, and we over the years, um, we just established this really cool friendship. 
and um, she was writing so much back then, and she still mm-hmm. didn't have a record deal. So I, I love these songs. So I learned her material, um, and I thought, well, I. I feel that the world should hear her songs. And so if you don't have a record out yet back then, the only way that you can hear that hear the songs is if the artists that wrote them are playing them right there in real time or maybe if somebody's doing a cover. Like that's really old mm. school folk tradition, mm. you know, to play someone else's song um, mm. kind of thing. And so that's what I did. I played like my entire set was Sean Colvin songs. Um, wow! Yeah, and then and then she uh, got a deal with uh, Columbia, and yeah. um, and at that time I was starting to I was getting a little bit better, and I was starting to write my own material, and just incredibly happy for her that she got her record very well deserved record deal. And that ties into what you were saying about when you played Polaroids. I did. Yeah, she had uh, just written Polaroids or just finished it, um, maybe about a month or two before. And that song, it took her about a year to write it. And over the course of that year, she was playing in Boston a lot. And so uh, each time she would come back, I would say, what do you got now? What do you got now? And uh, she would play (laughs) uh, what she had uh, thus far. Um, and it was just amazing to watch that song and the progression of that song being written. Um, so yeah, when I met Kurt, uh, not only did we, we listened to a lot of records and that was really fun. Um, and then I, I said, Hey, play guitar for me. Cause I, you know, the, I had the guitar right there, obviously, and and he's like, no, no, it's because he's a lefty, he couldn't play it. So we plonked around a little bit, but he couldn't play it. Uh, So he's like, no, you play for me, and that's when I think I told you that I proceeded to play, like, every song that I knew off of Nevermind. The record, it hadn't come out, it was coming out the next day. But it still technically was not out yet, so how in the world? I mean, it would be one thing if smells like teen spirit had been like released on the radio and i'm like i know that one song and but it was it was all of them um and i mm. had had it for a couple months at that point and i used to run to it and before going to the gym i would run and uh so i knew it but um one of the other songs that i played i played a couple of my own i played a, <laughs> a bunch from nevermind and freaked him out and then i then i played polaroids and he just sat there looking at me like what the fuck what the fuck was that right i'm and in retrospect um i think i told you that um you know some of the lines in it are and the letters i wrote you of were those of the desperate stuff like begging for love and a suicide threat Mm. i played that song for him not knowing oh my god it's weird and then um i think i also told you that a few days later, before they, he left on um, on a part of the tour that I would eventually catch up with him on, I made him a mixed tape, and on on that tape, I think the second song on it was a Joni Mitchell song called "For the Roses," and right. yeah, and my God, the, I mean, what we know now, right? And then yeah, me only having just met this person who uh, there was no, (laughs) 
it's like so big, right? That how do I even go there? Like he, the record wasn't out yet. He had absolutely not no indication that this person was going to be a rock star by any means. Um, right. No indication mm-hmm. of that. Uh, and so I put the song on tape and, um, it was weirdly like now I listen to it. And it's like, my God, that's like a crazy premonition as was mm. Polaroids, right? Prophetic. Just crazy, fucking crazy. Um, so, and then it gets crazier because uh, in that beginning time, in, you know, the first month there, I I talked to Sean Colvin all the time, and I said, you know, I met this guy, he's in this band, Nirvana. They're kind of a, you know, rock rock punk band sort of whatever uh mm. and even grunge like the term wasn't there was even, no word for the, it then, yeah really. you know so uh yeah, yeah so I said you know this Nirvana and she and then I talked to her a week later and she's like my god I, I heard Nirvana on the radio and she had no idea that this dude that I was talking to was this guy right mm. and so she's like holy shit Mary Lou right and I'm like I know right and so uh <laughs> she, she I would talk to her um probably like once a week and she would say how's how's Kurt doing and I'd let her know what was going on and and it was just this craziest thing. So uh, when the shit hit the fan in England, you know, when Courtney came into the picture and all of that, uh, mm. I obviously, Sean, I had told her about this and she was really upset, uh, really upset for me, really upset at Courtney. Um, and I think she knew that um, this was something that, must be very troubling to me. I mean, again, everywhere I turned uh, was on the radio or on MTV. And so she said to me, <laughs> listen, Mary Lou, me and, I, you know, I'm, I'm out here in L.A. Why don't you come out to L.A.? Um, and basically she was saying, let me and Joni take care of you. Um, she, was, she was making a record at Joni Mitchell's house, wasn't she? She was making her record at Joni Mitchell's house, yeah. So, uh, and Larry Klein, Joni Mitchell's husband, was producing it. So I know. I was because. like, are you fucking kidding me? So I went out to L.A. Um, and I, basically I was at Joni Mitchell's house every day with Sean. Um, hanging out with Sean Colvin and Joni Mitchell, right? How weird is that? And that so, is something that you would dream about and it, not think it was reality. I, I, right? I mean, from putting for the roses like on the tape for Kurt Cobain <laughs> before he was a fucking rock star, and all the lyrics that that song implies, and the fact that oh maybe it's about David Geffen because Geffen, right? And here, mm. here it is, Nirvana are on Geffen. It's just fucking crazy. And here, so here I am, you know, swimming in Joni Mitchell's pool, and Joni's sitting there by the pool with a cat, we'll like just go back shawled one around. Second. <laughs> Let's go back a second. So you showed up 
yeah. at Joni Mitchell's house and yeah. you just knocked on the door and I, said, Well, actually, Juliana Hatfield's brother, Jason, we, <laughs> we drove out there in this piece of shit Volvo that I, I didn't even know wasn't fucking registered. And when I said to Jason when we're <gasps> like in Ozona, Texas on Highway 10 and we're going 55 miles an hour, I'm like, Jason, don't you think you can go a little bit fucking faster? You know, the Texas is pretty fucking big and we're here we are going from Boston to L.A., right? We're in Ozona, Texas. And he's like, well, I kind of can't. I have to follow the speed limit. And I'm like, why? He's like, we're not registered or insured. And I'm like, you motherfucker, right? So oh, then we no. get like and as far as like Bakersfield and the, there's on a Volvo, this old, old Volvo, like a 79 Volvo, blue Volvo. Now, can right? I just interrupt you for one second? No, because... no. So Yes, yes. What? I have to <laughs> ask you, was it a blue Volvo? It was, and I know what you're going to say of the girl in, in the old blue Volvo. It it most likely so. was that shot. Yeah. Okay, keep going. So anyway, this old blue Volvo had this like bucket thing like underneath it to catch the oil. I don't know what that thing was, but it's like this <laughs> this basket thing to catch the oil. And so in Bakersfield, uh, right around there, the bucket thing was fell off and it was scraping on the ground. Right. And so we, we duct taped it or something back up. And then we finally ho- hobble into L.A. And, and going through Bel Air with this fucking car with the basket thing scraping on the ground. And we pulled into Joni Mitchell's driveway. Jason's driving. Um, and he looks at me and he says, Mary Lou, He's like, it's really important. I'm like, what? He goes, do you think Larry knows anything about cars? And I'm like, you are not fucking going there, Jason. <laughs> I'm like, you are taking this car, you're dropping me off, and you're getting the fuck out of here. Because he had to go to Oregon to like switch cars for Juliana, <laughs> something. Uh, and I'm like, you're, you're taking the Volvo. I don't care what you do. I don't care where you get it fixed. But, you, you know, I'm leaving. You're dropping me off. <laughs> you know, find your own goddamn way, whatever. Um, so we rang the bell, like, ding, ding, you know, the gate, Joni Mitchell. And so uh, we, Jason drove me up the hill. It's like this little hill. And um, and then I think uh, probably Sean came out and maybe Joni with her. I don't remember really. Uh, I, but I remember, you know, first meeting Joni. And she continued. She always had her cat, like, around her shoulders like a shawl. Um, oh just really beautifully elegant and um, very Joni Mitchell-like. <laughs> and so every day we we just kind of hung out. And um, I think Sean had told Joni about the Kurt thing. And and I remember her just being really, really cool with me. And, I mean, letting me in her house and stuff like that, mm. you know, the stranger. And going every night we'd go to the same restaurant. We'd go to Spago. And um, mm. <laughs> and it must have been uh, the Olympics were on. I remember because I was watching her. There was a TV on in there, and um, or we, we were someplace, and there was a TV anyway because she was watching the figure skaters, and me watching Joni Mitchell watching the skaters. It was just her eyes were just like lit up like a kid, you know, mm. like watching the Olympics and. It was it was just amazing. I mean, I could go on and on about how awesome it was. And then but I think we we, we went to see Richard Thompson at McCabe's. Oh, um, 
Yeah. So I think, yeah, that was awesome. And so we were staying in Richard Thompson's apartment because he was subletting it, or house, he was subletting it to Sean and then in the day, but we'd be at, at the studio and at Joni's all day. And I'd just like swim in the pool and cry and Joni would look at me like, give me the there, there kid, he's not worth it look and just what the fuck, right? So which album was Sean making at this time? Do um, you remember? I, well, Stuart Smith was in the studio because during that whole week they were working on Round of Blues and I remember like just laying in Joni, Joni's pool floating there hearing Stuart Smith lay down the tracks to Round of Blues. It was coming out of the... Uh, you know, drifting out, and there I was laying, wow. and there Joni well, was sitting. <laughs> that's really interesting. Round of blues, and 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 how weird is that? Like here we go again, another round of blues. You know, like I know, what? and that's really interesting because it all ties together in a way. Mm-hmm. Because in 1998, uh, it was no 1997, I think. Um, yeah, 97. Sean Colvin had just released a few small repairs, and so it would have been that. That's um, the record. Later. Yeah, that's the record. Right, because she was on Sony on Columbia. Yeah, and Monique Brumby, who I play with was on Columbia as well. And so Sean came out to do these showcase gigs for the album and they were just little club shows, exclusive ones. And we did the tour support as an acoustic duo. Mm -hmm. And that's how I found out about Sean Colvin because um, Monique was a huge fan and she played Sean Colvin to me. And then we did this tour and it was it was just Sean and Stuart Smith and mm. Larry Klein. Right. They were the it was just the three of them. Yep. And we did two in Sydney, two in Melbourne and one somewhere else. I can't remember. Maybe Perth. I mm-hmm. can't remember. But that's how I sort of thought that's how I got to get into to, Sean Colvin's yeah. music. Yeah. And then I heard about you through that. So that's amazing. It's weird, isn't it? That's so cool, right? <laughs> yeah. But but getting back to your story because I'm always interrupting. Sorry. Um, so you were there for how long? Do you reckon you were there for? Well, I I was at uh, there definitely for at least a week. Um, mm-hmm. And again, it was like you know when you're in the studio, you're you have to go. It's an all day long thing. Oh yeah. And so we just basically slept at the uh, at Richards. Well, and that was kind of cool to be. I'm like, this Richard Thompson, but you know, just like looking looking around, like, wow, oh, cool. Um, and how funny is that? The the guy that introduced you to Sean Colvin stopped when you were playing a Sandy Denny song in the subway. Oh my god! Right? Oh my god! I didn't even think of that. That is so cool. And the first song that I put on the Kurt's mixtape was a Sandy Denny song. It was uh, by the time it gets... No, it was probably who knows where the time goes. And then right. by the time it gets dark, I would have put that. I remember putting that. And then I put For the Roses. And then after that, this gets really weird. I put The Blonde in the Bleaches. How weird is that? And so anyone that might be familiar with these songs, and if you're not, you can go and look up the lyrics because it's pretty intense. Um it, it's just bizarre you know there's a line in for the roses um you know it talks about this this young um person that has just 
beginning in their career and the and the record company uh treating it as a commodity really um oh my god it's amazing and but there's a beautiful line in it that says, remember the days when you used to sit and make up your tunes for love and pour the simple sorrow, pour your simple sorrow to the sound hole in your knee. Oh, my God. And now you're seen on giant screens and at parties for the press and, of, and people who have slices of you from the company. <laughs> ah, see? Oh, man. Yeah. How, and then it goes. How and does then, that happen? Unbelievable. Yeah. So there's yeah. the song called your new thing now and I always I really liked that song but I didn't really sort of put the words into any context I didn't know you back then I didn't sort of see you until probably a year later 98 I first saw you play when your album came out but um, thinking back to that time it, it all makes sense if you were there you know trying to escape the the wrath of all these rumors and, and the whole horrible thing. the whole folder in the AOL and all of that oh, the whole thing um it it all makes sense that that song was probably inspired by what you were going through do you reckon that that's what happened well yeah i mean i know it was right yeah uh, tell us she, she well, it's like you're my friend, right? Yeah. You would know what's going on in my life. Yeah. Um, she, at the time, was we were very close. Um, and, of course, she knew everything, all the shit that was going on in my life. It was crazy, right? Um, from meeting him and and starting this thing and then, you know, it was like, oh, this guy in this band. And, and it just escalated and she, like anybody would be like holy fucking shit right and I'd be like right <laughs> and uh so she was my friend and friends have your back man and she w- was observing this and observing I mean it's all like she was under a rock uh Sean <laughs> and and Courtney Love was on the cover of Rolling Stone and Courtney Love was saying this shit in Rolling Stone um so so of course like Sean was pissed like what the fuck, you know? And and she wrote the song. And is that the album that won the yeah. Grammy for Record of the Year? Absolutely. So that in itself is bizarre, right? Like <sighs> here's my friend that oh my god. Like she here she is on the fucking Grammys winning fucking Record of the Year, fucking Song of the Year. And when she goes to do it, I don't know if you remember, and this is like a side note, but when she went to do her acceptance at the Grammys, uh, it was, um, oh, I, I remember old, it was Old Wu-Tang. Dirty Bastard. Yeah. Old Dirty Bastard. Yeah. Yeah. He like barged in on it and he's like, that's Wu-Tang right. is for the kids. And she's like, I'm confused. <laughs> and year, years later, he sent her an apology and she, she's kind of put on her Instagram a picture of the apology from Old Dirty Bastard. That's so cool. But yeah, so that song she wrote uh, absolutely being by default in the middle of this thing as well because she was a very close friend of mine. Absolutely. Now, I'm just trying to think if the Grammy was – so she would have won the Grammy in 97. 
97. Yeah. It was right around the time that it was crazy. It was like, here's Elliot on the Oscars. Sean Colvin wins a Grammy. Oh, I my God. Know. It was so cool. You were like oh the God. eye of the storm. <laughs> Absolutely. I like I it's true. No wonder you're like, going I to be a storm chaser. <laughs> well, no wonder I'm fucking, you know, still like people like you talk about this all the time let it grow it's like fuck you you know what i mean (laughs) honestly like it was it was like it's not just oh i knew kurt carlbeck it's not fucking just that it's everything like this was a crazy time i was just this person played music in a subway liked songs and then all all of a sudden it was like holy what (laughs) where am i you know, yeah, like fucking off to see the fucking wizard. Yeah, exactly. Wow. <laughs> I just want to go home. I want to go back to Kansas. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. You get sucked <laughs> up by a bloody tornado now. Whatever. Go Living back to Kansas. Kansas. After yeah. that, you get it. After that, the only thing that you can do is kind of like something nutty, like go climb mountain or go chase a tornado it's like i'm never gonna get that fucking same rush again you know (laughs) (laughs) but i tell you what like with phoebe bridges right uh that she you with the feeling that i would get when i first heard sean colvin when the feeling that i get when i first heard nirvana or elliot or whatever i get that same feeling from her first aid kit too uh, but Phoebe Bridges, wow! Like right now, she's she's still young and she's got a lot of writing to do. But uh, like, if she, how you said before, if like I had to pick a horse, getting back to for the roses, this is really weird. But mm-hmm. you said before, you know, if you can pick the 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 colt or the filly or whatever it's called, you, you know about racehorse stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but if you could pick the one, that's like that's the one, like if i had to pick that would be she would be the one yeah um so we'll see you know maybe maybe in a few years time um, put your bets on now. I remember get your get your good odds you heard it I here just, first yeah who knows you know what i mean it could anything crazy could happen and they'd be like you never knew phoebe bridges or whatever and just and it, and it, i'm just a fan and with those other people that's what i started out as i started out as a fan but i was younger and they were younger and it made sense to become friends um because there was an understanding between us and and um i was very really really lucky but at the same time you you take chances on that ride and you can also get your heart broken. It's like a flame, right? If you get, you want to be close to it. You want to be close to that light, like a moth, right? But you get very close to it and you, you can get burned. Um, and yeah. Yeah. You just gotta keep a bit for yourself. Yeah. But through, uh, you know, people like, Kurt or Amy Winehouse or any of these tragedies, uh, Chris Cornell, you know, whatever. Any of the tra- like the, a lot of these young kids, they're much, much more um, aware uh, of of the of what can go wrong, right? And it just seems like they're much more together and much more focused and they're not all fucked up and that kind of like fucked up romance, you know, romancing um, 
the fucked up side of rock and roll, right? Mm, there's a lot more self care like, going on now. And that's what I mean. Like back in the like sixties with like Janis, well, yeah. with like Janis Joplin and and John Bonham and fucking yeah. Jimi Hendrix. It was like it was crazy. Like the excesses Keith and the Moon. the amount of drugs and yeah, like kids today they they don't they know they're aware of that stuff where people back then i think that they just got caught up in it and they mm. couldn't talk about it if they were having like it wasn't cool to talk about it, it was cool to be fucked up you mm. know in a, mm. in a lot of ways and so i think oh my god you know somebody like phoebe Brit, like like with elliot even i said be careful with your success like i hope i hope that you'll be able to handle that because it can fuck you up right and so i think of somebody like phoebe bridges or first aid kit like you see them at the infancy of their careers and i just want to say be careful but fortunately because of the uh people that have gone before them and what we've learned um about how to take care of yourself um, going into this and that there is help out there and that you're going to need a fuck ton of it if you're going to be in that position, right? If you're going to carry the weight of record labels and people and all this this machine depending on you, right? Um, that it it it's much it's much better now. So with somebody that I would feel like nervous about for their success, and what it could possibly do to them, I I feel a lot more comfortable now knowing that it's it's different. Mm, absolutely, thankfully. All right, so it's the twenty fifth anniversary of Kurt Cobain's death, right? Obviously, this is mm-hmm. a very it's a big deal to a lot of people. There were a lot of people affiliated with um, Nirvana, a lot of people affiliated with you know Kurt, and a lot of people with deeply personal connections whether or not they knew him right um and uh people ask me uh, of course you know about the conspiracy or was there any kind of a foul play um with the death of Kurt Cobain and and uh this is something that I have thought about and I'm sure that anyone um, very close to him has also thought about, right? And I've just come to the conclusion that um, if there was any foul play, any weirdness at all, um, someone like Chris or Dave or Courtney or Kurt's mother, they would have they would have uh, figured that out a long time ago. You know what I mean? They would have hired their own personal people to look into any uh, loose ends or anything that might have to be uncovered. You know what I mean? They loved mm. him. And if and if they're okay with their answers, um, then, then it has to be okay because these people loved him. And who are you going to trust? I would trust Chris. I would trust them, right? Mm. So, I mean... And look, this is the whole thing. I mean, it doesn't bring him back whatever the answer is it doesn't bring him back no it doesn't bring him back and and also uh the the other side of that is okay well if he did um commit suicide like why right um and I just feel that uh you know I've I've thought of it and in thinking about that Joni Mitchell song right um Mm. 
and the lines in that song. I just feel like if you put yourself in Kurt Cobain's shoes at the time, he was carrying such a heavy, heavy burden of the lives of other people, um, the people that depended on him uh, to put their kids through college, to, you know, put the clothes on their kids' backs, um, the the bankrolling um, with, with, you know, the people, the record company people, the publicist people, it was a machine at that point. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't feel like this person that just wanted to make songs and have a, a little group, right? Uh, I think that they wanted to be sonic youth successful, but not what happened, you know what I mean? And I think he just, like, emotionally and physically, like, buckled under the weight of what he was carrying. Um, Getting back to that Joni Mitchell song, uh, you know, she talks about um, people that have slices of you from the company, Um, not only the company, but the world at that point. You know what I mean? Like, if Kurt Cobain were, like, a pie uh, and you sliced it, like, Kurt Cobain would be a tiny sliver of the rest of what that pie should completely be. You know what I mean? Like, he was broken up uh, into too many divisions. And there was just too little of him left, I think, at that point for him to sustain um, himself, right? And I think Mm -hmm. he just, it could, he probably just really desperately wanted to get away and couldn't because you you're wearing this face that is your face right so you might go to the airport or whatever and try to catch a flight somewhere or go here or go there and you're there you are Kurt Cobain and there you have to be talking to the you know the flight attendant or the salesperson or the thing you know and there goes Kurt Cobain running through the airport you know he he could could not maintain any sense of uh anonymity or autonomy um Getting back to Joni Mitchell, uh, in an interview that I saw of her with Q Magazine there that we were talking about, um, she says that after she uh, Blue came out, she went through um, this sort of a crisis where people were looking to her um, as the subject of the songs, right? They wanted to know everything about her and break and analyze her and just break her down really. Right. Uh, Mm. like, like under a micro magnifying glass where what she was really trying to do was hold up a mirror, uh, to the listener if they were listening, right. And give them an invitation to themselves, not necessarily to her. Right. And so what she ended up having to do um, during that time, right, you know, just after Blue and I imagine for the roses that whole time, she had to go to like the Canadian woods, like wild, you know, live in the woods Mm -hmm. for a while and just get away from everything. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that Kurt, you know, maybe that's what he sort of wanted to do, but it again he couldn't even get that far away, you know? And I think if there's anything that he was trying to get away from, uh, it was a combination of the success of the expectations. Um, and then, you know, maybe there, maybe there were even expectations of the success of in utero 
are compared yeah. to Nevermind, right? And because yeah, it hadn't been out that long, really. And then, you know, I've seen some other interviews with him, um, and talking to him early on about about what we talked about about folk music and about songs and about Daniel Johnston and how relieved I was that new music like this was coming along and I had gone to Berklee College of Music and there were all these rules, right? And I listened to Rush and I listened to prog rock and Jethro Tull and this. Like, we talked about this shit, right? <laughs> and I said, you yeah. with Daniel Johnston and stuff like that, you don't have to be great, but you can be great, you know? And he fully yeah. agreed he, and he knew that I got it and I got uh, what... What he was doing, it was cool, right? It was just like two fucking normal people that were talking about music and whatever. And then, uh, so I think he he liked that. You know, it was this really cool friendship thing that we, it was all about music and all about un- this understanding. Um, so we also talked about folk music and softer music and the Beatles and like that. So I saw these interviews with him where he was saying that, he wanted to start maybe playing quieter music, like like folk music or acoustic music, he called it. And I could really, um, I could definitely see that for him, you know, like maybe he wanted to play some songs with Michael Stipe or, or somebody. And that's why I've said this before, but when I think about the tiny window of time in retrospect that um, Elliot had arrived in Portland uh, to the time that Kurt died in Seattle, right? That it just would have been amazing um, if Kurt had hung around long enough to have met or heard Elliot Smith. Because Mm. I think that that would have been, I mean, I could, I can envision um, a kind of partnership or the kind of a friendship that I know would have naturally happened if if Kurt had lived long enough to hear Elliot. Elliot, he would have he would have adored him, and he would have pro- probably taken him on like a little brother. And at the time, uh, getting back, you know, talking about Elliot a little bit, there weren't a lot of people doing acoustic music like he was, like not not like that, right? You had like. Mm. previously Simon and Garfunkel and Dylan and some folk guys, right? And then the only thing that I can um, compare it to would be Lou Barlow, you know, what he was doing mm. with Sebado with and Centrado. Um, and Kurt folk loved... Implosion. Yeah, Folk Implosion. And Kurt loved, like, uh, loved Sebado, right? Um, and yeah. so Elliot was the guy, in my opinion, that kind of set the bar of folk... You know, and and I did ask Elliot once, not to stray too far, but I said, "What's the difference between folk music and what you're doing, or acoustic, or whatever?" And he said, "Well," and he put his hands together and he made kind of a uh, like a like a praying, uh, you know, like the here's the church, here's the steeple. Uh, he made yeah. this <laughs> like he pointed, prayed position with his hands, and he said, "Well, you know, uh, folk music." It has a point to it, <laughs> and it was just yeah. so cute the way he said it, and and I was like, yeah, that makes sense. He's got a point there, you know. Like folk music has a point to it, and I was like, wow, that's fucking cool, right? I never thought well, of it like that. And it's so kind of uh, interesting too, though, because uh, it's like what what we were saying about, um, you know, we watched um, Looking for Elliot Smith the movie, yeah, 
That was well, wait. Was that what it was called? I uh, can't remember. Heaven adores you. Heaven adores you. Yeah, that's the one. And um, and we were saying like it's a similar sort of situation. How he couldn't stay in Heatmiser uh, because mm. he couldn't do that kind of music in that band. Yep. Yep. And so, you know, exactly. he wanted to do that music. Well, he wouldn't yeah. have been able to stay in Nirvana and do that music. Well, he could have maybe. You know what I mean? Now now but look at it now, Marianne. Like how many people mm. have little spin-offs of you know, they're like, oh, they play with this group. Look at Phoebe Bridges, right? She's with Boy That's Genius. That's what I mean, though. He and she's with, um, with other people. Better Oblivion. Yeah. I mean, it, it just kind of wasn't done yet uh, then, right? Now they do it all the time. And so many um, rules have been broken since, since you know, in the past 25 years, right? Mm. That I, And there's help out there for people. There's a lot more help. Um, mm. And when it comes to either addictions or um, or feeling bullied or, you know, you can do so much more now. Um, and Yeah, and there's not as much, like now there are a lot of people openly talking about mental health issues. Oh, and absolutely. And yeah. all of that. And you, it's, not, it's not treated as taboo or anything like that. It's like, oh, you got a broken leg, you go to the doctor. Oh, you... Mm. You know, you you're struggling with with um f- with your depression, or you're struggling with addiction. Go and get help. There's people yeah. out there that can help you that know what it's yeah. like. Yeah, definitely. And and it's really you know the music community has changed a lot. You know, with uh, you know Map stepping up to the plate, music musicians assistance program, and and all you know the the other um, fractions and factions of that particular uh and you know with Kurt dying and Amy Winehouse and um Elliot right that there there are there is a lot more awareness and people did start talking about it um and then look at Lady Gaga for instance she's got multiple organizations that help people um if they're feeling depressed or if they're bullied or if they feel outcast right um when I I, I, and I kind of think sometimes I wonder if um, people that are young Nirvana fans, um, if they have anywhere to turn, really, you know, like they could really look at him like uh, how any young fan does with with super um, love for, you know, mm. uh, this, this, the person that they're a fan of and hopefully um, they have somewhere to put their feelings um, as well. Yeah, and I think um, also like we were saying, you know, a little while ago we were talking and we were just saying about how people invest a lot into music mentally, emotionally. Oh, oh God, and, absolutely. And and it's like what you were saying about some people, they're born lonely yeah, and how you were saying that you thought that about Kurt? I do. I I, that, I said that you know, and I said that the other day in an interview. I said, you know, they they were asking me about Kurt and asking me about this, and and I I mean, who the fuck am I to know anything? But I think I maybe do a little whatever. Mm-hmm. And I just said, you know, I think some people are born lonely, um, and it's got nothing to do with like the environmental factors. I mean, of course, that adds into it. It doesn't help if somebody's born lonely 
But I think that, you know, right out of the gate, some people have a disposition to be addicted, you know, and when you're born lonely, it's um, like this prime, uh, you, you're, you could quite possibly be a, a prime candidate for being an addict. And one of the first addictions that an addict can have uh, when you're eight years old or even younger is music, right? And so you listen and you listen and you listen. And there's no doubt in my mind that Kurt Cobain was a music freak. He was a music addict, a song addict. <laughs> and it's one of the reasons that he got so good is because, you know, he had it in there. And mm-hmm. um, and and that's a beautiful thing, right, to be addicted to, to be for a lonely person. Um, and I'm sure that there are other people that were born lonely um, that love Kurt Cobain and they worship him and adore him and put him on this pedestal, um, not really uh, knowing that what was meant was that Kurt maybe was meant to be holding up a mirror. And, and maybe this part of that too, but they, but they also, they're like, yeah, I see myself. Yeah, I see myself, but I really love him. You know what I mean? So it's like, mm. it's hard because it, when you're young, you want a role model. You want somebody to hold on to. And um, even like with me, I'd be, uh, well, later, because I didn't, I wasn't really into Joni Mitchell till later, but you know, I'd be going through, even before I met her, even before the Kurt thing, whatever, I'd be listening to A Case of You or something, like oh, yeah. when somebody broke my heart or I feel, felt misunderstood. So it's like she was my friend uh, in my room alone, you know, and, and I'm sure mm. that uh, to a lot of people, Elliot was that guy. He was that guy in their room that understood them. Um, and Kurt too, uh, this very quiet relationship, an invisible relationship that happened to thousands and thousands of people, young kids probably mostly, um, that we didn't know about, right? But we as fans also um, went through that with our own, the the artists that we love, right? So I just feel like, um, uh, like if what... You think about this, right? And you think, like, fucking, can any good come of this at the end of the day, right? And mm-hmm. what do you think? Like, has any good I think come that, of it? Well, I think the good that's come out of it is that as a community, people banded together and got support amongst themselves. Like, I think it attracted like-minded people like fans who were those super fans and they could find comfort in in their own um, grief and and coming together as a support network. And Mm -hmm. and that went throughout the world because I remember in Melbourne even, in Australia, there was a a huge – big thing in the in the city in the downtown at the at the Melbourne city square and they were having a candlelight vigil for Kurt Cobain and they were televising the um the memorial on a big screen and this is in like the main city that I lived in and that my sister went to it I didn't go to it but um that but people felt comfort coming mm. together and I think right in finding music and finding like-minded people, you can, you know, get strength from that. And you can get strength from music. But also I think just that understanding that 
we have got a big legacy, even though, you know, Nirvana had what, three albums officially out mm-hmm. and they had, you know, the, the compilations and rarities and things, but, and, and the live stuff and retrospective stuff, but just in those interviews that we can still see and, and you, you can never really know, I don't know whether it's the full sense of the person when you're watching an interview because you don't know, you and I know that when you interview people or you're being interviewed, you don't give everything no. away. You mm-hmm. have to keep a little bit of for course. yourself. Of course. And and so I just think that the music and the interviews and all of that is one thing because they think they know that person but they really don't Mm -hmm. unless you know someone in person you know (laughs) it's hard Mm. to know but I think just having that support network available now Mm -hmm. I think people are more aware of the power of it definitely and you know you think about somebody like Lady Gaga right and how she's got these uh her fans little monsters and and she's she's just so good to them you know what I mean uh there's places uh that they can put what they feel and places they can go and the organizations and pause up and she's so good to them um Mm. and as a community they probably feel like really sort of tight-knit um and Lady Gaga you know she's young you know what I mean like Mm. when like during this whole time uh you know from Kurt Cobain to maybe she was an Elliot fan I don't know or Amy Winehouse like she witnessed that and she probably said to herself you know when I'm uh it probably affected her and she probably said you know if I'm ever Mm. a rock star or something I I would like to uh have a place for some of the people that uh are fans of mine to to put their feelings if they're if they're any kind of depressed kind of thing you know what I mean? Because she knows that music is, is, is very, very powerful. And it's, uh, like you were saying, it's, it, it can be a person's life, right? Uh, especially mm-hmm. a young person, it can mean more to them than we could ever understand. Uh, but Lady Gaga, she knows that. And so I love the fact that, you know, it's such a tragedy that um, Kurt, and Amy Winehouse, like whatever, right? It's it's so tragic when this happens. But when I think of someone like Gaga and other people, um, they they have learned from it, you know, and they and they uh, treat it differently. And they, it's just a it's a whole new uh, world out there, really. Um, I agree, and I, I I was just gonna say, I know I was, you know, making a joke out of the record industry execs earlier but I think as an industry the whole um you know the the music industry is a lot more responsible now mm, I mean some people definitely. might beg to differ but I think oh, yeah. they're more responsible for their artists now they don't want them to 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 kick the bucket and <laughs> you know they don't want things to end in a negative way you know, that that it's just that whole connotation of looking after people is more important now, I think. And it's like what you were telling me about when you were in England with Kurt and to just tell us what happened that, that you remembered that story that you told me. Oh, uh, what is it? 
You know, the guy knocking on the door. Oh, God. Yeah. So when I remember this, uh, we were sleeping and um, I think what, yeah, what woke us up, there's somebody knocking at the door, right? At like nine o'clock in the morning. And um, Kurt went and answered the door. And there was this dude there. It was We were in England. This was an American guy. And I, this is the way that I remember it. And honestly, I think it's true. I, I know that people's <laughs> memories can get muddy or whatever, but I remember this because I was like, holy fucking mm-hmm. shit. This guy knocking on the door, Kurt answers the door, and the guy's like, Curdy, Curdy, Curdy. And Kurt's oh. just like looking at him like, what the fuck, right? And the guy's, you know, all ready to go at nine nine o'clock he probably went for a jog and whatever and and he's like fifty thousand units over the weekend curdy and he's like i got a surprise for you and it was like a huge handle of vodka and i Mm. and i was just like laying there and i just look at him like you gotta be fucking kidding me you know and just like little things like that that i witnessed along the way and I mean, I've known record company people. Obviously, I did a very big record deal and put out a a big record and all that. And I'm really fortunate that the people that worked with me that I that I chose in the end or whatever were really great. They weren't like that at all. You know what I mean? Mm. They're real music people. I'm not going to name who they are, but if anyone's listening, mm. they know who they are. I mean, from Kill Rock Stars before that awesome uh to the people that I eventually uh ended up working with they weren't like that at all but I so when that you know things like that that I would see happen and you think that can't really happen and but it does it's just fucking gross and Mm -hmm. you know there's a lot of uh mental like Joni Mitchell says in that interview she says there's a lot of mental illness um in in the field of entertainment a lot of it right um, Absolutely. You see, like, and somebody becomes famous, and fucking crazy people come out of the woodwork. Not so much, even, not always, rather, because of the music, but because they're fucking famous. They don't give a shit who the fucking mm. person is, you know? Mm. And the weirder the fucking thing is, the more freaks come out. And it's also that thing of, um, you know, as you get bigger, and as Nirvana would have got bigger, they they can't keep in touch with the ordinary people anymore because and it's like what we were saying well they could but when it comes to someone like Kurt I don't think he could not you know I'm I'm not here to you know do this podcast to trash Courtney Love or whatever I've I've done but but no I know I know but I've done plenty of that but what I am saying is um that I'm pretty sure that Courtney Love uh might yeah she blocked him from his some of his older closest friends that i know for a fact would have not wanted to you know get in on his deal or anything like that they they were his fucking friends like real friends before he was famous kind of friends and uh you know so so he couldn't even go see his fucking friends um so like that and no real reason other than um he i think he was blocked from it she, he would have never heard the fucking end of it in other words mm. you know what i mean so he's probably like it's not fuck it it's not worth it whatever um mm. so you just become more and more and more isolated and when you're uh getting pulled pushed and pulled in directions and uh by so many different people 
you just must get angry, right? And say, you know what? Fuck off. Like, like I don't want to fucking do Lollapalooza. I don't give a shit about the fucking three million dollars. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I want, or I want to go and talk to my old friends. Fuck you. And then, I don't know. So there's a lot of fuck yous about how I feel that he was probably feeling as well. Uh, mm. You know, just isolated, angry. Um, you can see it. You know what I mean? You can yeah. picture it. You can see it. Yeah, exactly. And and look, it's that. It's a tragedy no matter what way you look at it. So it's, you know, whether he could have got help or not, it, it, it's all speculative, but it doesn't, it, it hopefully things have changed, mm-hmm. especially as we're saying in the music industry, in just society as a whole, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. It's more accessible to get help. When you need it. Definitely. And I also think that um, it's that if somebody does something or says something shitty, right? Like, I, not to get back to Courtney Love, but I mean, she's part of this, right? <laughs> I know. Yeah, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Just <laughs> the shit that she said about me and put me through oh, yeah. that never, ever would have flown right now. Um, no, you know, for for people that might be listening um, that didn't hear me talk about this, uh, Courtney Love said after this whole thing with me and Kurt, whatever that that uh, stopped a long time before this, and Courtney Love kept perpetuating uh, me basically, right? By by talking about me, I, I kept my mouth shut. I'm like, what the fuck is she, you know, like this? But she just kept talking about me and bad mouthing me, and she was saying things like. I killed their cat. I camped out in the park across the street from them and stalked them. And I, I killed their cat and left it for dead on the porch with a syringe in its eye. Um, and then all these other things. And now, in this day and age, that shit never would have flown. Because somebody no. would have would have stepped up and said, who the fuck are you? You know, regardless of what, like, are you sure, you know... It just, uh, it, it, it just wouldn't have happened. Yeah, um, and there's more platforms for people to be called out on as well. Oh yeah, that's and what th- I mean. That's yeah, what I mean. There's more platforms. Yeah, you can you can actually say, hang on a minute. You don't have to be isolated in Rolling Stone, and the only way you can get your story out or your side of the story is to have an official interview in print. Now, oh, absolutely. Well, that's one of the go things out to the masses. Totally, that's one of the. Uh, best things about social media right is that Mm. it's the best and the worst i guess but (laughs) i know right um but you everyone uh has a voice now and if somebody's curious as to whether or not they want to know that other person's side of the story and know more like you can't get away with it you know she got away with the shit saying stuff about me because i didn't have a voice and she knew it um, I didn't have internet. I didn't know what internet was. Um, I didn't know what the fucking whole folder was. I didn't. I couldn't fight back, and it fucking mm. hurt me. It killed me. You know what I mean? Like mm. what? Like how could that not have affected me? It did. And so not only did I have to deal with the fucking breakup, and then Courtney saying a bunch of bullshit about me that wasn't true, but then he died again, and then 
Mm-hmm. Ah, so then, you know, I meet Elliot and I'm like, oh, well, here's this guy, you know. So after Kurt died, I met Elliot so very shortly thereafter. Um, again, the window of time between Kurt Cobain's death and Elliot arriving in Portland was was small. It might have been like, I, I, please don't quote me, but I think it might be like six months Right. Yeah. Um, and so here's this guy, Elliot, that I happen to meet um, very organically. Again, um, I heard him at the same time, like for the first time live. So I didn't know who he was. I hadn't heard his records. I didn't even want to go and look at him, go watch him. But Slim Moon said to me, you know, there's this guy um that we have this new guy named Elliot and you should go out there and watch him. And I didn't want to go out there and watch him. I just wanted to hang out and drink the free beer um, and, <laughs> and talk too much backstage. Right. I didn't want to go yeah. look at this fucking guy with a shitty acoustic guitar, like doing a dorky fucking folk thing. Like I was, I was sick of that, you know, and that was one of the reasons I was happy to be in Olympia. Right. Uh, yeah. And, and so I'm like, Oh geez. All right. Another guy with a fucking acoustic guitar, you know, just lame. And but I was like, okay, because he insisted, and I think I know I've said this before, but so what? So Slim insisted, and I sat there and I was watching him, and the first thing I thought of was, wow, he's really making that piece of shit guitar sound really good. And I thought, well, he's another thought in my mind. I thought, well, why is he so good with and having that shitty guitar to begin with? And I'm thinking, why doesn't he have a a better guitar? And so I got over the guitar part of it, right? And then (laughs) the third song in, I was just, I felt like I was in a tunnel, right? And like, he was on the stage, and I had this like, vision of me watching in the third song in going, holy fucking shit, what the fuck, right? Like that. And I it was just like surrounded in this like white light and I and I went tunnel vision like nothing else around me was happening just that what I was watching and it was amazing and then by the like ninth song I was just fucking ruined I was done I I was just (laughs) gone the same as Sean Colvin right it was similar because I had never heard her songs apart from the Lonesome When You Go song um before I saw her live, because she didn't have a record deal out, right? Elliot didn't have a record. So I saw these people live first. And uh, so after he played, um, I met him, and, and you know, the, the story goes on from there. But he, uh, my friendship with him, like, after that, it really was incredibly fulfilling, because I had as many people, we're still like sort of mourning our own personal loss, whether we knew Kurt Cobain or not. We were still going through that that awful time of what the fuck just happened, right? And so mm. when I met Elliot, it was like, whoa, this is cool. And I was able to feel that feeling again uh, that I felt when I first heard Nirvana, you know, that special thing that you can't put your that you can't put your finger on, but you know is there, that magic, that that thing. And Elliot had that and and it was really exciting and we went on tour together and 
And he and I, you know, we would talk about Kurt. Like I would tell him the shit that happened. Of course he was curious and, and I could talk to Ellie about anything. And, um, and I remember, I, you know, I used to say to him, Elliot, I've seen, I've seen Kurt become famous, you know, and, and I think that that's part of not just the fame, but, but everything that goes along with the responsibilities that go along with it. Right. And I said to Elliot, I said, you know, I, that could happen to you, man. P- please, please be ready for this. And he'd just laugh at me like, like Kurt did, you know, like, what the fuck mm. do you know? It's, it might have happened to him, but it's not going to happen to me. I'm never going to be, you know, like that. And, and it did, and it sure didn't seem it because he was my opener. And I'd be like, to the record label guys, like I said earlier, you know, did you see the opener? And they'd be like, is, is he depressed? You know, she's like, what the fuck? Did you yeah. listen? Like the, And so he, at, at that time, it was difficult to see that that could ever happen. But I saw it. I knew it right away. Um, and I told him, be careful, Elliot. Please be careful. Um, and so it sometimes it's difficult for me um, to, to, like, I have this place in my mind right this room in my mind where there's Elliot and then there's Kurt right because like that and and sometimes like they visit each other I know it sounds crazy but like in my mind in the in the dimension the other dimension where anything can happen right and there's maybe such a thing like uh they they met and they they live in my mind and sometimes I talk to them and and I just like it's just weird whatever um and so no go on (laughs) i'm trying to i'm trying to articulate what i what i'm trying to say um it's it's almost like your dream state of reality it's like a fan fiction it it totally is it It totally is but but the fact is is that i knew both of these people Exactly. you know what i mean sometimes when i think of kurt i think also like Elliot's often right there too, you know what I mean? Because they both um, kind of, they remind me of each other a lot. Kindred Um, spirits. Absolutely, right. Uh, And so I can't sometimes think of one without missing the other, you know what I mean? Like with, with Elliot and Kurt, like it is the 25th anniversary of Kurt Cobain's death, but also like makes me remember everything about Elliot and I and so it's not and every year on April 5th right I don't only think of Kurt like I always think about Elliot as well um, because the two of them they live uh, sort of side by side in in my mind in my heart you know and um, yeah well also music brings that back in terms of like just remembering those times it wasn't that long between Kurt Kurt dying and you meeting Elliot and it's that no, sort of time it wasn't. of your life and it's a tumultuous time of your life because it's transitional and it was so crazy other- it went from absolute you know not not just me but a lot of people absolute shock horror sadness uh when Kurt died um to this absolute joy, you know, hearing Elliot and going to see Elliot. I mean, I know his music is dark, um, but it's also extremely cathartic. Um, and it was, and it made you feel, and it, it it's weird because with Nirvana, Kurt Cobain, 
I get the similar, almost the same sometimes feeling uh, from Elliot's quietness as I did from Kurt Cobain's loudness, right? Mm. Like a very similar feeling, like it's a similar mirror, like one's a little more, a little a little bit of a darker room, so you can't quite see. Like, I can't really explain it, but it's very it's like a, similar. It's like a sonic extreme, but the meeting in the middle is the intent behind it. Exactly, exactly, and that's why you know in the in my mind in the the other dimension that I sometimes like to visit where they did meet, I would like to just imagine that you know Elliot could have taught Kurt that it was okay to be a little bit more melodic and a little more quiet. Um, mm. Or, uh, you know, you don't have to be screaming all the time. And and maybe in my mind's dimension, um, Elliot could have, <laughs> it, it, you know, Kurt could have been the, the big voice for Elliot when he wanted to, you know. And if they had been in a fucking band together, it would have been amazing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the, the yeah. light, the, I mean, they're both dark. And, uh, but... But there's lightness in there as well. I mean, there was so much lightness in Kurt and so much lightness in Elliot that that that's the only way that that could work. You know, with that kind of energy, you need darkness and light. You need positive and negative because that's the only way that uh, the amount of energy can conduct itself is by having the, the equal degrees. And we didn't often, you don't often see light uh, but, but you need an. What is that thing about like a candle or something? You need an extreme amount of darkness uh, for to be able to right. see the light. You know, whatever. Exactly. But that kind of thing. That's exactly there's, right. There's and, a lot and, of that. But because again, when we were talking about what is music, right? It's this energy that we, uh, as we we can't define. It's like one of those. It's beyond scientific, right? Because you we were talking earlier about being able to measure love or measure uh, sadness or measure pain. Like, it's almost impossible to measure those kinds of things, right? Because it's not Mm. something you can see. It's only something that you can feel. And music is like that. But it's still fucking real, right? It's still this real energy. Uh, This real... It's beyond even consciousness, really. It's like this absolute... uh, absolute purity of light or darkness um that and darkness doesn't always mean bad or depression you have to have it i mean it's part of nature it's the law of of uh intent of nature right yeah Um, it's like what you're saying you have to have the dark to see the light something like that right Mm. um so it's like that with these two people, like heavy, heavy, heavy. Uh, they both, um, they both um, contained so much. And when you think, like, geez, that this band—I mean, I know that Nirvana were a band before they um, put up, started putting out these these records and stuff like that, right? But uh, before they got a deal and stuff like that. But it was just a really short amount of time that they were around it wasn't like they had been around for ages and then you know they they came in they hit it hard and then and then they were gone but 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 of course lasting um but they didn't put out all that much stuff you know and they weren't around for that long 
No. But it, but again, right. it was like it, like the turn like the phrase. Uh, it's not the years of the life, but it's but it's the life in the years. You know. Absolutely, and, and it's that sort of quality that they left, rather than you know you can have these these um what they call them legacy acts or heritage acts, and they yeah. just trot out the oh old, yeah. Oh yeah, but but also if you have two things that contain that much energy, right? Uh, It's it's almost if you think of it in terms of sort of scientifically or what nature, the laws of nature. It's almost like it can't last that long because it's it's just too charged up. It's not like a thing that's just yeah. It's unsustainable. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it was just too, too much energy, too big and awesome. Yeah. It couldn't, it couldn't last that long. It just, yeah. And then I don't know. Well, then you go back to the quote of Neil Young. Ha! <laughs> Better well, to burn out than fade away. You know, Neil's mm. doing all right though. Yeah, he's had a second wind. Yeah, well, see, that's the thing. There's always that. Like, if you take a little little break, you know, and I think poor old Kurt, he just needed a break. He needed mm. a break. Um, yeah, and and as you say, it's that there was so much, so much energy, so much pressure. Something had to give, didn't it? Like, uh, yeah, it was that point in time where it was the tipping point. It was either, you know, I mean, we don't know what was going on in his mind, obviously, but there was obviously an internal struggle there. And, you know, for whatever reason that that day, whatever happened in that mind on that day, at that time, the tipping point went the wrong way, maybe. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But, you know, what an amazing legacy that he left behind. Well, yeah. On another note, talking Mm. about new music, you went and saw Phoebe Bridges, your old friend, (laughs) the other night. I did, yeah. I saw the Better Better Oblivion Community Centre. Did I say that right? (laughs) <laughs> you did yeah and, it, and so it was it's by personal invitation it was yeah so that's phoebe if uh for those that of you guys that don't know that's uh phoebe bridges and connor Oberst band. yeah it was it i really liked it i mean i thought it was i thought it was great and the opener guy oh my god um christian, christian lee, lee hudson. hudson oh my god he's so great Right, he is, isn't he? I saw him in um, I saw him in Melbourne, open for Phoebe, a couple of months ago. He was fantastic. Um, so I told you you did, and watching him and watching Phoebe, like, okay, so we were just talking about Elliot, and we we're talking about Kurt, and wouldn't I I you know I asked Phoebe I said what year were you born because I couldn't quite remember and she said I was born in 1994 and I was just like holy shit wow right so here's this kid that I'm watching and it 
and with Christian too, right? It's obvious that these are kids that know Elliot Smith's music inside out, and I'm sure Nirvana as well when they were probably younger. And just to know, to watch these young people just beginning their careers, uh, and I know that they'll both be incredible. They'll have wonderful careers, long careers. I hope, um, you know, like uh, career artists. That's what you would call writers like this. Mm. The quality of right out of the gate what they're doing. Um, that they've studied. Uh, that they've probably loved Elliot. You know, these were kids are again teenagers in their room where their friend was probably. Elliot Smith was one of those friends that well, we know Phoebe told us. I know she did. And with, with Christian it's 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 obvious. There's reflections yeah. in his guitar playing, in the way he's singing, of course. Uh and it's you just watch I watch kids like this and I get so happy because I think this is this is why. If I had any questions why, this is fucking why. Or this is, this is what's important, right? Um, mm. The same as I'm sure that if anyone that loved Kurt, look at Francis, right? Or look at young people that loved Nirvana. They're like, this is why. This is all that fucking matters. Absolutely. And I think um, just reflecting on that, Kurt died in 1994 Phoebe was born in 1994. There's a circle of life. There, Absolutely. Right there. So, right. So, any questions of like, uh, what's the point of, you know, like, whatever. Like, that's the point. Um, and, and it's life. Like, I mean, he could have lived till he was 95. He could have lived till he was 72. Um, or Elliot, for that matter. Um mm. But at the end of somebody's life, what they leave behind often is, I think, what's like ultimately important, right? The what they've left behind, you know, the, whether it's they they leave behind memories of being a good person or being a good friend, um, or they leave behind um, music that changed the lives of people. Uh, their their songs were friends to a lot of lonely kids um, in bedrooms across the world. Um, when they needed a friend, they put on a record. Um, or uh, the legacy of inventing things that make people's lives better. I mean, it's what we leave behind is the most important thing of the work that we do while we're alive. And I really think that what they did, and it, and I was reminded when I heard Phoebe, and I was reminded when I saw Christian, like, and, and I'm reminded even when I, I read little things about Francis, right? That's, that's all that fucking matters. Yeah, and also just the fact that that music and that ethos and that, that, um, feeling is being brought forward into that next generation absolutely and, and, in their writing in the way yep. they play yeah 
it, and and, and who who knows like with one of those maybe it would be Elliot maybe it would be Kurt whoever like they might have been uh the the um what's the word that I'm looking for not the motivator but the uh, catalyst catalyst yeah that sort mm. of got them f- to want to maybe pick up a guitar they might have said I want to play that song you know I want to learn that song um mm. or or the catalyst to to have them spend so much time on learning it because I know that with Elliot's guitar playing he really did set the bar and they maybe wanted to play a song and learn but they had to learn how to do it because it's not easy you know what I mean no so they would way. probably do it over and over and over again and and then one day uh, they crossed that invisible threshold and they have written a song, their first song. Uh, and it and it came as a result of being so moved by uh, probably maybe one of Elliot's songs to, to make their own music. And if people, I know it's not just like one guy, it's not just Elliot and it's not just Kurt, you know, it's a lot of different stuff. It's probably like a bunch of Neil Young and a bunch of, um, I don't know, like whatever, whatever else, you know, like Ben Gibbard. It's DNA. And, it's what it's it's osmosis as well. It's what right, but what I'm but exactly, but what I'm saying is that it took a lot of those guys and a lot of those oh, girls yeah. to get to make the music to make another person pick it up to do it, and so oh, yeah. everyone is like kind of equally as important, but I think that some of them a little more important than others (laughs) you know so um do you know what's also interesting talking about new music and i know i'm over the age of 28 but i was listening to um jenny lewis's new album today and Mm -hmm. the first song the opening song there's a line in it about elliot smith she says elliot smith's name in it oh really yeah Um, and I i wonder what the lyrics are I can't remember off the top of my head, but it was um, it was in reference to arguing about Elliot Smith and something else mm. with some other person in the song. But do you know what was interesting about that song is that Ringo Starr is playing the drums on it. <laughs> oh, my God. That's awesome. Right. And Don Was is playing bass and yeah. Ben Montench is playing the B3. So it's like all these people... Yeah, that influence everyone. Yeah, and these younger people—I mean, you know, younger than me anyway—are are going back and seeking these these people out and being able to mm. play with them or being able to, you know, connect on another level of music from yeah times gone by. Totally, you know? and um, with YouTube, the advent of YouTube and stuff like that. I mean, it's been around for a while now, but uh, mm. a kid can be 12 years old and and not knowing what the fuck because radio's crazy now and whatever and so you go on youtube and noodle around and be like oh i like that and i like that and maybe just stumble upon something that your ears are drawn to um and so with uh some of these artists that are older whether it's even neil young right or whether it's led zeppelin or whether it's Nirvana, Elliot, what, whatever. Um, these kids, like, it's still new to them. Uh, so yeah, and you know what I'm finding too is that a lot of people, like what we were saying about, 
you know, your favourite show, This Is Us, whose music's gone off the uh, boil now, but yeah. <laughs> it's people that hear music in TV and movies. Young people hear old music um, that they wouldn't have heard. It used to be the radio, but it's not anymore. Well, it's, but I mean, it, it is m- movies and stuff like that, but they, there's so much at their fingertips to, to... Yeah, you can find it. Well, if you go on YouTube, as you know, you look at one thing and then then it it's got this shit connected to it and it, if you like this you might like <laughs> the this rabbit and the, hole. the rabbit the rabbit yeah. hole i've spent many yeah. many hours yeah so we didn't have that when we were and you can learn how to play guitar you know you can you don't need a teacher you can sit there and watch the tutorials there's so instead much instead of pulling your car over at the side of the road and calling the dj you just yeah. hit the button on Shazam yeah so i mean there's some people complain that maybe um, new music sucks or whatever, but I I have uh, a lot of hope for um, for no, for the next few years with with the quality of stuff because if you think about it, Phoebe Bridgers was only like maybe fucking eleven when uh, YouTube came, so she was probably one of these kids, one of the first groups of kids to be a kid like a child mm. just a person that's young <laughs> and um and wa- <laughs> and watching this youtube thing and going oh, oh wow you know like she's one of the first graduates of the first class of youtube and now True. she's and she told us there's a whole lot of bad stuff of her on youtube when she was in this right i'm not talking about her on youtube no I'm, i know i'm talking about that stuff that she probably found on YouTube, I know. and maybe even I learned know. to play guitar a little bit from tutorials or watching people and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. So, so the quality of some of these kids, she's amazing, right? The quality is going to be incredible, um, and the and she is what like twenty three or twenty four now, and so, right? So she, this uh demographic of age they're the graduating youtube class of the first youtubes and now that do you know what i mean by this like yeah i know yeah they were the ones that had it all at their fingertips exactly and now they're starting to step on on grander stages the same with uh first aid kit right they're youtube kids too uh and so look at the quality of some of these people um because they weren't told by the radio or by not having access. They fucking found YouTube and they got to use their own ears and eyes and, and you know, skirt around on that and find whatever the fuck they wanted yeah, from a guitar let's lesson. Look back to, let's look back to First Aid Kit. I mean, they were like 17 and 15 when they did that um, Tiger Mountain Fox's yeah. song on yeah. YouTube. And it's like that's how they found them. I mean, well, they're these... Of course, Kids in Sweden. You know? uh, uh, of course, and so YouTube had been around for five years before that because I remember that came out in like two thousand nine. Yeah. So at least four years, YouTube had been around before even that. So they probably had had four years of watching YouTube I and know. under the so the so somebody like First Aid Kit and Phoebe Burgers and anyone in that age demographic of anywhere between. I don't know, when they're taking the stage, they're probably like 21, right? Anybody that's just starting out as an artist, like, 
like that, right? Making their debut yeah. albums. That's the gre- that's the first class of YouTube <laughs> kids. You got it. You, I do. You know, I it makes yeah. sense to me. And yeah. so I'm really looking forward to that because this is one of the first groups of artists that we will um, be hearing because now they're making records for themselves, their first records, yeah. that we'll really be like, wow, these are the, one of the first groups of people that very much unlike us uh, who were, you know, it, it was decided what we were going to hear unless we really yeah. tried hard or whatever to, mm. to seek But can I down. just say about old music, you know, how you're saying those there are people out there that don't listen to new music and that glorify old music and all of that. Mm. There was a lot of bad music out there in the 70s <laughs> as well. There was a lot um, of bad music in the 80s. There was, there's there's always been a lot of it. bad music. So people that say, oh, music today is really crap, it's horrible. Well, there's, you've got to find the good stuff. Of course. It's not going to be handed to you on a platter. Of course. But I think that they might be talking about what the radio uh, decided yeah, to play know, because that's all they could listen to it's exactly like now <laughs> well i know and now it's like well it's too late i don't listen to fucking music anyway you know for whatever yeah. but for a lot of these uh kids that were that are t- like 20 anywhere from 21 now to 25 now they were the first youtube kids and there's definitely a difference in I think the because they're listening, they're watching the quality. The a bar was set that mm. was uh, that they decided to listen to. You know what I mean? That that they decided to listen to the quality that they ultimately began making. Absolutely, and let's hope. So it's pretty exciting continues. times. It's cool. Do you know what's really the one last thing I'll say about? Um, our friend Phoebe. Where was my invitation for a start? No, I'm <laughs> um, <laughs> I would have gone if I was in Boston. Um, but what I was going to say, it's really encouraging and exciting that she actually produced Christian Lee Hudson's oh, album. Oh, yeah. How right. many young women get a chance to be producers? in days gone by you were just like go get your nails done or your hair done (laughs) take care of the buttons and the knobs and it's like you know (laughs) now people are being recognized for their musical insight and talent and natural flair for being able to recognize good music oh totally regardless of gender regardless of age oh you don't have to be in the boys club anymore no i never you know People, I hear people talking about, um, uh, oh, I wish that they had that. Like, when I um, was younger, right, and and getting into music, I never felt disincluded. I always felt included. I I mean, Mm. in my high school or whatever, there there weren't that many music people um, to begin with. And so I... Like we were talking about how water seeks its own level. Uh, mm. I would just go hang out with, I didn't care if they were boys or girls or whatever. I just want to mm. hang out with like-minded people. And uh, mm. I was never cast out. I don't I, I, I always felt included. And if it was, good. unless it was lame. I mean, if it was something lame, I wouldn't want to be part of it anyway. 
You know what I mean? If it was just like a bunch of dorky like record label guys or whatever, like I wouldn't want to be fucking. Pu- that's not really music. You know what I mean? No, I would exactly like to. Right. I if I my friends were like real musicians that that were fans of of real music and real songs and weren't afraid to say that they liked a certain band or weren't afraid to go to bat for a certain band like that. Uh, you know, Elliot Smith was not popular, um, but I rallied for him. I championed for him. I, I got pissed if people didn't listen to him. I You know, I told a story on my Facebook of how I was in the studio. Um, well, I was doing pre-production, and it was uh, John Bryan and Ethan Johns that I was doing the pre-production with. And I, I had a cassette of Elliot, and I knew that John Bryan would like it because we were talking about the Beatles and we were talking about music. And I'm like, dude, this is guy, my friend Elliot. You should listen to this tape. And I gave him the tape, and he's like, yeah, okay. And then the next day, I could tell he didn't listen to it because he didn't say anything about it. Uh, and yeah. and then and then so he didn't say. I'm like, you didn't listen to that tape, did you? He's like, well, I will like this and I'm like you're not gonna fucking listen to it don't worry about it you know this kind of like getting mad now right (laughs) and so uh the next day again he didn't and on like the third day uh I was I think I was like sleeping in some ridiculous hour in the phone right he's like holy shit I heard Elliot oh my god oh my god like this kind of thing like so excited and he's like why didn't you tell me and I'm like I was trying and I'm like look dude it's 3 a.m I gotta go back to bed so then all I heard the next day was how awesome it was and then uh he made a cassette for Ethan Right, because Ethan and Ethan's like, oh, you liked it, John. I guess you liked it, John. You know, uh, like this, right? So uh, John made a tape for Ethan, gave it to Ethan, and the same type thing happened. He's like, dude, you got to listen to it, and he didn't. And then he called John at like some ridiculous hour, like, oh my god, I heard it, like this, and it was just great. So you know what makes me laugh about that is that you knew that he hadn't listened to it because if he had listened to it, he would have reacted like that. I would have expected at least a little bit of a reaction. Not <laughs> quite like that. You know, so it was it was a really cool thing. And then uh, I did a gig with Elliot at Spaceland, I guess. And um, I, I mean, I might be remembering it wrong, but I don't think so. Uh, John would have to remind me or, or someone else that was there. Um, but... What it was, was I was doing this gig, Elliot was on the gig, um, and I I said, yeah, John, come to the show, like that, and John showed up with a set of vibes, and he's like, I really want to meet him, and I'm like, okay, cool, you know, and so... I I saw the vibes and I'm like, oh fuck me, right? So <laughs> as awesome as John Bryan was, I'm just like, oh no, don't let no. And so uh, he met him and briefly, right? And then he's like, can you ask him if I can do some songs with him? And I was like, no shit, no, because Elliot, he's so nice, and he would have been like okay you know this kind of and so I I said do you mind if he sits in with you I know you just met him and but he's great he's working with me on the thing and he's this guy (laughs) and (laughs) and he sat in and I was like oh my god he knew all the songs and Elliot was just looking at him like oh my god you know like you just meet somebody and here they are playing his songs you're like oh hell yeah and so but that was the producer in him too, because he could hear so much in it, you know. Well, and that's what why I, I thought, I'm going to bring the vibes. But he had a simple, 
he just had simple vibes with him, you yeah. know, and, and it just... But he just, didn't want to be intrusive. He just wanted absolutely. to add his little sprinkle. He knew he knew what to do, and, and yeah. it was just amazing uh, knowing that, again, that Elliot had only just met him, and, and here this guy was, um, not unlike the other story that I told you. You know, it's very cool. Yeah. And that was when you were staying out in the... I was, I was, I was staying in, in the, yeah, that's right. I was <laughs> staying in this, they rented this house for me in Malibu and it was just awful. It was like this big, it was like a bread box. It was a huge. We drove past it. It was across go, the street. It. Yeah. Across the street from Zuma Beach. Yeah. Um, and by all intents and purposes, it should have been awesome, but it, it wasn't. It was this big, huge mansion bread box house. And I was there all by myself. Like You'd Ethan You'd been scared. I remember left. you told me you said I was scared. I was. I slept in the closet. Like it had this huge like <laughs> wardrobe closet that was like a small bedroom. And I just put the, propped the a chair in front of the door so that I could, you know, all the doors were locked, but I slept in the closet with a chair because I was like, what the fuck? I was so scared. I was there by myself. <laughs> and Ethan, he lived in Malibu, like down a little bit past Zuma Beach. And then John lived in right downtown, right uh, in like off, I don't know, like on Fairfax. I think he was staying somewhere down there. And uh, so he was far away. I was, you know, way out in fucking Zuma Beachland in Malibu. So that was weird. Um, how did I That's get on that subject? I don't know. I, <laughs> I just said, remember we drove down that the PCH down there and you were going, that's where it is. Yeah. That's where I stayed. Right, so that's where we were, like, uh, doing the pre-production in that funny house. Mm. Yeah. Wow. So it all comes back around. It just does. It's it like, really does. It's all, Everything's yeah. connected. It's like that... Um, it really is a scientific weird thing that we cannot name, uh, put our finger on, but it, it's a, like a living organism onto itself. That it's it's just energy, and again, circular. How, There's no. What, yeah, I mean, I wish that I could scientifically put names on this, but the kind of like if I had an antenna up and somebody else did, the frequencies that our guitars are making or our voices are making like that like they they're they're finding each other uh, like mm. a quantum how how they know how the little quantum <laughs> the little quantum <laughs> um, microbes or whatever the, i don't know uh, in in quantum physics right like they like the quantums can, can find each other i'm <laughs> tuned out i can't no Wait, I, I know what you mean <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's the it's waves. Like, it's I the forget waves what it's called. There's a name of it where they they can like entangle uh, entanglement. It's called like <laughs> no, seriously, it's called entanglement. I think, and it's part of a, a nature that we absolutely don't understand. And right, that's, that's where your homework for next week. No, I I'm serious. Don't explain. make fun. I think there's some people listening that are like, uh huh, uh huh. Like, no, they do. It's only because I don't know. I don't know physics that I'm. I don't know physics either, but, but you, I understand what. That's you're where saying. music is. It's in that mm. dimension of quantum physics that we yeah. don't understand enough of because we can't see it and we don't have the mechanic, the kind of microscopes to be able to see that shit yet. Exactly. That's you know right. I mean? That's what it all comes back to. It's. It's unquantifiable. 
Uh, right. So uh, <laughs> with, with music, there, there is a certain form of, uh, of math going on, um, a certain form of, um, you know, golden ratio going on and everything. Oh, yeah, I know about that. Yeah, and it all sort of connects to uh, physics, really, and and the degrees of light um, and vi- and vibrations. And here and, you go. We've given we've just given someone an idea for their PhD. <laughs> I hope doctorate. so. That'd be cool. Yeah, so, so let's. Let's hope that we've inspired someone to be a doctor of philosophy. I'm so inarticulate. In, That's been done, though. Music. It's What is it called? It's called p- the Ptolemaic, um, the p- Ptolemy. And, wow. uh, yeah, and that's got to do with uh, the golden ratio and how music plays a part in it. But I'm talking about not just the the math part that can be measured or whatever by the vibrational tones of the blah, blah, blah. I'm, t- I'm talking about the, the <laughs> We're part. we very highbrow here. I don't care. I just let me finish. <laughs> um, oh, I yeah. think that there are people that know what I'm talking about. So it's like that, like with these fucking people. And so, you know, there's death, right? Say death. <laughs> and it's like there's something. That's not the end. It can't be the end because some kind no. of fucking uh, – vibrations and energy is still uh is still traveling right even if it even if that energy goes immediately to light it's basically light that makes up music because it's light that makes up every all the vibrations and so that's that's amazing and it really is a positive way of looking at it i think so because the energy from the music that what is still here yep. is still creating new stuff. Uh, new stuff, exactly. And so it's just, it just, it's no beginning and there's no end. Um, it's just a mind-blowing mind fuck. Uh, yeah. But, but yeah, when it comes to death, and that's what we're talking about here, a lot of it anyway, yeah. life and death. Um, I just think it's, it's just a, a step um you know a, a, a like a, a dimension that you go through that that like a veil you know what i mean like a like a like a very thin veil between life and death and you cross through one dimension and into the other but that yeah. energy is still there it has to be yeah it can't and just I like to stop. think it is as well and i believe it is and i think that the music is the evidence of that absolutely that's the evidence of that yeah we've talked a lot about um some pretty heavy things people taking their lives suicide and depression in this podcast today and amongst the other things the good things that we've um been reminiscing over um but for people out there who are struggling and i know it is a big time at the moment especially with the 25 year anniversary and and bringing up these memories and feelings, there are people out there who can help you. And we will put some links on our Podbean website to um, let you get in touch with with those organisations that can provide some help if you need it. And there's no shame in it. It's it's something that we all need sometimes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um. And, you know, I'd like to add in that 
I think that uh, some people are just born lonely, right? Um, and it's no fault of environmental factors. Um, it's not sometimes it has nothing to do with the way you were raised. Although I'm sure that that doesn't help if if your um, life was was shitty when you were growing up, and and if a lot of things were were absolutely beyond your control, um, whether it's you know, divorces or people leaving or abandonment. Um, I think some people are just born lonely. Um, and that is a prime recipe for, and a setup to become addicted to something because you're trying constantly to fill that emptiness. And I mm -hmm. think that that's one of the reasons that a lot of people um, get hooked on music very young because it's a it provides that fulfillment that they're born without that fe fucking feeling of just being lonely right as simple as that and so as I've gotten older um and ha and dealt with my own um loneliness and my my own addictions that we all have uh you know well not all of us but generally the people that i know that love fucking music are lonely mm -hmm. fucking people it's weird i don't know some people worse than others some people don't know how to get out of it and for a long time i didn't know how to get out of it and it could be something as simple um as asking another person that has that that same thing that you you recognize it in them when when you meet them you just do you know water seeking its own level you you recognize it and if they're going if they're doing kind of well like if they're having a remission and you're like geez you know so and so seems pretty cool they're like they're doing good like maybe I'll ask them for help right like what did you do or or can you help me and like believe it or not that will help that other person um like like keep like stay in their own remission from their own loneliness I know it sounds really simple but try it. If you're bummed out or if you're feeling totally lonely, totally isolated, totally fucked up, totally addicted, whatever, like find somebody that you know that you've met along the way. Yeah. So if you find, and it's like what we were saying about community, find comfort in community and, and be able to not only ask for help, but offer help if you can assist someone else who's having a hard time. Yeah, absolutely. Because we all need each other. Yeah, we we definitely need each other. And you're worth it. And I know that I've said this. I'm going to fucking say it again. But, <laughs> like, I really, really do feel that if Kurt had hung on for just a couple of months, he, he might have met Elliot. And that might have potentially changed his life. And it might... I know it seems like two negatives, right? But I think that they could have helped each other out because... I'm positive that they were both born lonely and I just feel like they would have understood each other and sometimes all you really need is a fucking friend and I tell you what you know if you're somebody and you've got a friend that's fucked up like never ever give up on that person ever um, no matter what. I know Absolutely. it might be the hardest thing in the world to do and, you know, you hear about tough love and whatever but, but never give up on someone. Nope. Because always. There, there's always, always hope as long as if they're alive, man, there's, there is hope. 
Where there's life, there's hope. That's it. Yep. Exactly right. So stick around, motherfuckers. Stick around. You never know what's around the corner. It could be your new best friend. And you never know what is going to happen in the next episode. So you better stay tuned. Um, thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for listening, and everybody. Sorry that we got so fucking metaphysical and out there, but it's heavy. It's a heavy, heavy fucking subject. It is. And we don't want to diminish it by, you know, not giving it the attention that that we think we need to talk about. Because it's all about us, really, isn't it? It's about what we need to talk about. And you what do you mean? To listen. <laughs> well, Wait, well, the what? thing is, we talk to each other. Oh, we do about these right. things. I mean, because it helps us, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, and th- we're doing this podcast not because we're going to fucking start selling fucking vitamins or something. You know no. what I mean? Like we're, we're going to not... do a fake ad, actually. We're yeah, gonna do an ad next week. We're going to do might it. Might not be fake. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to do an ad next, our first ad that, yeah, we're going to, you'll see. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. So thanks for listening, everybody. And um, yeah. I, Listen, I don't know. Subscribe. Give us a review. We like reviews. Yeah, give us a review. We, we know that, well, what the fuck, what the fuck is the point? But whatever, just if you well, like us. Well, the point we- is if we get reviews, we go in the list of people to listen to and then more people to listen to us and then but who, why would they want to listen to us like the i don't know i don't know but if you do like gluttons, gluttons <laughs> for punishment <laughs> i don't know i don't know but maybe we, we say shit that you know if you're having a conversation you maybe you just want to fucking eavesdrop on a conversation yeah <laughs> eavesdrop because that's what it feels like i forget that the world's listening well, not the world, but maybe two people. <laughs> <laughs> people in the world. Yeah. Well, potentially the world, but in reality, probably 12 people. But that's okay. Yeah, that's okay. All right. All right. Okay, well, Love each other, people. We- Love each other. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Talk to you later, Mary Lou. All right. All right. Peace out. See ya. Bye.